Hello and welcome to Angular Rocks, a podcast for those who want to know more about Angular. I'm Alexey Kuntsevich. Today we'll be talking about RxJS, and I'm very excited to introduce our special guest, Ben Lesh. Ben is a development lead at RxJS. Hello, Ben. Hi, how are you? Thank you for joining as a guest. Uh, can you tell a few more words about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I'm currently working as a software engineer doing web development in React, actually, at uh, Citadel Securities. Uh, prior to that, I was at uh, Google on the Angular team, uh, and I've been working on RxJS now for seven years. So that actually started while I was at Netflix before I was even at Google. So it's been been uh, quite a while there and uh, still still working on RxJS. A lot of, lots uh Lots of new fun stuff has been released in the last year, especially. Yeah, I see uh, all of these new releases, and yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to discuss all of that. And just want to throw this uh, question, a uh, very important question, I think. What is RxJS, and what problem does it solve? Oh, sure. So RxJS actually stands for, or the Rx part stands for Reactive Extensions. Uh, and really it's, it's about, um, kind of extensions to the language, so to speak, uh, around like reactive programming. And what reactive programming is, is it's an idea that you can, uh, develop code in such a way that, uh, it reacts to events or to, uh, signals coming into it. And then you can process that signal in some way and contain all of your state. Uh, and uh, send the next signal along. So the next piece in the chain can react to it and that sort of thing. So uh, it's it's just sort of a different way to reason about um, uh, programming things, especially when you're dealing with um, streams of data or uh, trying to coordinate different events, uh, that sort of thing. So that's really the problem space that RxJS exists in to solve is... Uh, dealing with streams of things and coordinating complex uh, event mm -hmm. And so just, uh, just to sum up on that, RxJS is basically uh, reactive extensions for JavaScript, right? Meaning that reactive extensions actually exist for any language and any platform, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So uh, Rx, Rx actually originally started in .NET. Mm -hmm. um, RxJS... Uh, was built as an exact mirror of the version of rx4.net. So there's rx.net. And what happened was, and this is actually how we got our logo, um, Microsoft before, um, before TypeScript, or right around the same time TypeScript started, they also had a separate project called Microsoft Project Volta. And so Project Volta has that pink electric eel that you see now uh, that's been adopted by the ReactiveX community, but Project Volta was this idea that they're going to compile .NET code, like written in C Sharp or presumably VB.NET as well, to JavaScript. And so, in order to do that, they needed compilation targets. And so, uh, RxJS was a direct port of Rx.NET, which is how we got so many operators and so many names because it was built off of a compiled language where having lots and lots of methods and operators and things matters a little bit less because that all gets, you know, shaken away at build time, but we don't have the same luxuries in JavaScript. So uh, RxJS, to my knowledge, is the only surviving piece of Microsoft Project Volta, which is why it inherited the 
the pink electric eel as the the logo. Uh, and the ReactiveX community has kind of taken that. And now you have RX Java and um, boy, RX Swift, RX Pi, RX C++. It, literally, there's an RX, I think, in every single language uh, or least popular language available. So. Oh, well, this is interesting. I didn't know the the whole story. I knew that RxJS, uh, with all these reactive extensions, they were coming from Microsoft. But yeah, I didn't know yeah. these details. Actually, they were trying to mirror uh, the existing uh, C-sharp code into JavaScript. Yeah, yeah. It's actually been around quite, quite a bit longer than I've even worked on it. Um, uh, it was originally, so their idea of... of um, Observable came from a gentleman named Eric Meyer and uh, another guy, I think his name is Bart DeSmet and uh, Matt Padwasaki, this team at uh, Microsoft. So Matt Padwasaki was the first person to port uh, Arcs.net to JavaScript. And so he was the original author of RxJS. And so I'd, I didn't actually um, start working on it until about five or six years later uh, is when I assumed the, the role of leading the project. And in that case, it was because uh, there was an agreement to rewrite it to line up with uh, the TC39 proposal for observable and, you know, an attempt to make it uh, modular and a bit faster uh, than previous versions uh, were against modern runtimes. So it's it's evolved quite a bit since then even. Uh, that was uh, RxJS version 5 was the first version that I was responsible for. Uh, and now we're at version 7. Uh, and it's, I think 7 is, uh, like our version 6 I think was out for about three years before version 7 was released. Um, version 7 was more than a year in development before it was released as far as being in alpha and then beta. So... Yeah, it's it's uh, it's come a long way. I think the entire project's been around oof, maybe twelve or thirteen years now. All these people you just mentioned, the guys from Microsoft, are they still involved into this project, or are they not involved anymore? Matt Pawaseki, he uh, he joins into our meetings once in a while, uh, not not very often. He is currently working on IXJS, which mm -hmm. is kind of a sister project to RxJS. R IxJS is around uh, async iterable uh, as a type. So it's it's a little bit different and the goals are a little bit different there, but um, he spends most of his time in that space. Right. I was looking at uh, NPM downloads uh, recently and I just amazed how many millions of downloads this library gets in a week and it's just growing. <laughs> so do you think is like there is definitely a reason? I mean, in what companies are using RxJS and how does RxJS help those companies to solve problems? Sure. Uh, well, there's a lot of companies using RxJS uh, or and or just other dialects of Rx. To be honest, like obviously Netflix uh, uses it. Um, Google definitely uses a lot of RxJS. Uh, there's and pretty much everyone that's using Angular obviously is using RxJS. RxJS is get, gets used uh, in React quite a bit. We're using it uh, at Citadel uh, for dealing with really complicated uh, streaming interactions in the browser and actually on the server as well in like node services. So um, it's, it's just one of those things where it's a, it's a utility library and 
it gained a lot of traction. I think a lot of the traction it gained was through the Angular community initially, uh, but now um, the the use of RxJS outside of Angular has, I think, eclipsed the use even inside of Angular as far as like what I'm seeing come in as far as questions and how people seem to be using it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's the way it gets used. I mean, it gets used for a, a large variety of things, but I see it used in the server. I see it used in clients and electron apps. Um, it gets used in command line tools actually quite a bit, which is kind of interesting. Um, and it's generally used in situations where people, uh, they want a robust cancellation semantics or they want to um they want to try to coordinate uh you know complex sets of events or streaming data it's kind of the wheelhouse of rxjs your first experience with rxjs was uh, at a time when you work at netflix right yeah that's right mm -hmm. and that's so right. What, uh, what problem netflix was trying to solve embracing the rxjs Oh, so RxJS at the time was sort of like thrust upon me, like, hey, do you know what RxJS is? And I didn't know what it was, to be honest. So I, I looked at it and I thought, what is this, like another Lodash? Like, why would I use this? It seemed like a weird, because the examples would show like, oh, we're taking an array and then we're doing these things. Mm -hmm. And um, so we were using, because we had streaming data for like these real-time visualizations on this app that I was using. And it still wasn't being used quite right. And we had a, we had a particularly interesting problem where um, this was an app that people would run on a laptop and they'd walk between buildings and we had a WebSocket connection. And what would happen when you walked between buildings is you're, you lose network connection for just a second, but then your WebSocket's off, boom, like it's, it's done. And you need to reconnect everything. And if you had a single multiplex WebSocket feeding you know 12 graphs on your page you had to like reconnect and then you had to send all these messages to the server and be like hey i got to start off start streaming all this stuff to me again and then it would start streaming to you again and then you had to reconnect your your um charts and so uh i used rxjs to solve that problem and again it was something that was kind of forced upon me at the time but that was I contributed the first contribution I had to RxJS. It was I contributed uh, uh, retry when was necessary mm -hmm. in order to get um, in order to get the WebSocket to reconnect whenever the network came back online. So uh, that was kind of the problem space that they were dealing with there. Now they also used it for other stuff. Uh, there's a there's a system called Falcor that they still have, which is um, at the time, like GraphQL has come a long way. So this, uh, not now, but at the time it was like a better GraphQL. And, uh, they had this idea of like asynchronous graph traversal, which, um, in RxJS would be like the expand operator would get used to do something like that. So they, they had uh, a, a decent amount of Rx on the server, especially for dealing with, um, you know, getting graphs of information asynchronously and sending it back to the client. So mm -hmm. it's kind of the problem space that they were in uh, as far as uh, using RxJS. That was the the big thing. And then the other thing that it got used for was, um, and this is kind of an underrated aspect of, of RxJS, is that deterministic memory management where 
you're guaranteed if something errors or completes or you unsubscribe, you're guaranteed that a uh, teardown will occur and you're going to free up resources. So mm-hmm. that was another uh, thing that it, it got used for frequently. And does it mean when people watch Netflix, and like, you know, like on their uh, TVs, you know, this Netflix application, is it built on th- with RxJS? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. And it de- depends on the app too, but yeah, they, they have... Um, they have RxJS in there. Uh, other things that I know, like, uh, uh, and actually I only know this from the licensing that's out, and I, I have some sources, but uh, at, at the comp at Sony, but like PlayStation, uh, particularly the new PlayStation has RxJS uh, in the UI, so PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 uh, UI. Mm-hmm. Anybody wow, that's cool. dealing with that sees it. Uh-huh. Um, if you're using uh, YouTube on a smart TV, uh, there's some RxJS in there, uh, quite a bit actually, and some of the new UI stuff for that. So there's a there's a good amount of it floating around out in the wild. It's it's sort of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and definitely uh, Angular builds on top of <laughs> RxJS, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. And Absolutely. it was the main consumer uh, for quite a while, right? But now, as you said, more and more companies are picking up RxJS because it's helping to solve these asynchronous uh, problems, right? Right, right, right. Also, you have this uh, experience uh, working at Google, and I know you kind of was involved into making RxJS to work on the Google scale. Can you share a little bit on that and how actually Google using RxJS on scale? So Google, they they use a lot of RxJS, like a a lot. Um, and I, I actually still know about this because I still I still work with them frequently because uh, you know they're friends there. I used to work there. I still love Google, and we're we're. I work with them frequently to try to help them with syncing RxJS to, into Google. So Google has a mono repository. So there's exactly one copy of everything in this huge repository. And every time you build anything in Google, they build from the source code for that thing. So like it, they'll build compilers and then they'll build TypeScript and then they'll use TypeScript to build your other thing. Like it's it's crazy, but they have, so they have one version of, of RxJS and uh, whenever they go to update it, I work with a team of people that work at Google whose uh, job is, part-time job, but still a job, is to update RxJS inside of Google. So, uh, you know, they have thousands and thousands of projects that use it. And it's a wide variety. So there's a lot of Angular there, obviously, because they do a lot of Angular. Uh, but then there's, of course, projects like things in YouTube and other corners where they're using RxJS that are not necessarily Angular related. The bulk of it is is Angular related. Um, they don't have Node in production really there at Google, like like where they were running like Node servers or anything. At least at the time I worked there, uh, they didn't have that. So I can't really say that um, they're using it for much on the server, but of course they use it in a lot of uh, node-related tooling and things like that uh, for, you know, dealing with things like Angular schematics and other things mm-hmm. of that nature. So they they have a lot of a lot of RxJS code. Google uh, single-handedly. So one of the deals is uh, because I'm working with these people who are doing the sync at Google, they're syncing from master on um, GitHub. Which means, so it means that they're on the latest. They're yeah, they're on the latest. They're on they're on what is uh, 
in theory, they're on something that's that's yeah. newer than what yeah. everyone else is on. So like they were on version seven before everyone else was. And that means that uh, they have thousands and thousands of products. So there's thousands of canaries that they're running this against. And I can see like, oh, here's problems. And here's, here's where they're not having problems and whether or not um, we need to fix anything on our end before we publish. So it, um, it provides a bit of stability for RxJS users that we have that relationship. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's, uh, and it also provides me with some really interesting insights in how people use or misuse the library in ways that, uh, you know, I, I need to think about whenever we're updating things. So, yeah, I see the point. So, and it's, yeah, it makes uh, RxJS library uh, more solid, right? Because uh, you have uh, all this opportunity to test it against the Google scale before it gets right. released. Yeah, that's awesome. That's right, great. right. I didn't know uh, reactive programming before I get into Angular and RxJS. But actually, after some time, I discovered that there is like more libraries which actually implement reactive extensions. So there is libraries yeah. like BackendJS, KefirJS, and probably there is others. Like in a few words, can you explain like what is the difference between RxJS and BackendJS? So why people should use RxJS instead of BackendJS? Let's say. I mean, there's Bacon, there's most, there's uh -huh. uh, is it KeferJS? Like they're they're all they're all great libraries i mean there's they they do very similar things uh most for example is very optimized to be very small and lightweight however uh and then there's like callbacks it's the same sort of idea as trying to optimize to be small and lightweight um the some of these libraries don't have all of the same safety considerations that R rxjs does um the like not to say that they're unsafe at all that's not what i'm trying to say but like um uh, for example, like call bags won't do things in like catch inside the map to, to send the error along. Or if it does, uh, it won't account for the fact that you might throw null, right? Like there's certain situations where, uh, they optimize for, um, for like very common use cases where RxJS optim is, is more written to try to cover everybody's use case because it's, so extremely broadly used and extremely battle tested. Um, so, but ultimately, uh, they all kind of cover the same sort mm -hmm. of thing. Uh, and I would never be offended if someone's like, "I like bacon better." I'd be like, "That's that's cool. That's fine." Like, I'm happy that people are using uh, observable more than anything else. Uh, which, uh, you know, s people don't often talk about this, but like. Um, some people will be like, I don't like RxJS. And like that, that happens and that's fine. Usually what they don't like is they don't like all the operators, right? Like the operators that people get real excited and then they write all their stuff as, you know, these big crazy chains of operators. And, um, you know, I can see that. Uh, but what I want them to know is there's a difference between RxJS and observable. And observable uh, is the type that you see repeatedly in libraries like, Bacon and Kefir and uh, most and callbacks essentially, even though it does does it with functions. Uh, there's there's versions of observable that lift that uh, that exist in like Facebook Relay uh, is basically it has observable. Facebook's recoil uh, has behavior subjects in it effectively that are 
slightly different structured observable. If you squint, you can see observable uh, and or subjects all over the place uh, in in uh, modern programming and rewritten over and over and over again in libraries, which is why I'm hopeful that someday the TC39 will, uh, you know, actually attempt to get a push-based primitive like observable into the language in earnest. But um, the operators for RxJS, that's just a, that's a different matter. And those stem out of the fact that having an observable means you can treat events like a set of things. And when you have a set of things, you can map it, you can query it, you can join it with another set of things, you can filter it down to a smaller set of things. You can do all these interesting things because of set theory. Uh, and you know that's the operators. But the, the real win is the actual observable type itself and the cancellation and the laziness and the things that it allows you to do, like write operators. But um, yeah, I'm never unhappy to see people use observable over you know, something like a promise or, or something like that for when it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. I know for sure that not every developer <laughs> knows about observables and libraries like RxJS. I mean, there is a reason so that probably, but so if you uh, compare observables with promises, when would you use observable? In what case? And when would you use promise? Do you have any recommendation on that? Or should you just go observables all the way? <laughs> uh, well, I, I wouldn't say observables all the way. I uh -huh. use promises. I'm still one of those developers who use promises on occasion. Um, actually, quite frequently, I probably use promises almost as often as I use observables, but uh, it boils down to this, like, um, promises are eager, meaning like if you have a promise, then whatever it's a promise to is, uh, it, it sounds weird to say this, but unrelated to the actual instance of a promise that you have, like it's, it is a future value. You're saying, here's a future value. You don't know what made it. You don't know why it made it. I mean, you might get something out of the name of the promise that you got or whatever, or some contextual information in your code. But at the end of the day, the actual instance of a promise has nothing to do with whatever actually created the promise. Um, where an observable is quite different. An observable is lazy, like a function. Functions are lazy. They don't do anything until you call them. Observables don't do anything until you subscribe. And in that way, observables are inherently related to whatever, whatever values they're going to produce. Right? So there's one difference. Uh, and... The other thing is um, promises are one value, guaranteed one value or guaranteed error. Like, so it's a promise. You're promised to get one value. It's not going to just not produce a value. It has to either reject or resolve the end. Um, observables, on the other hand, are zero to n values. So you can, you can say, I've subscribed to this observable and get no values at all. Maybe it even has a side effect and there's no value at all. Like it's, it can do a wide variety of things, or you can get tons and tons and tons of values from it. And that can happen over any amount of time, instantaneously or forever, somewhere in there. So uh, because of this, observables can represent a lot more and because they're lazy and they also have the guarantee that when they err or when they complete, uh, they're going to tear down any underlying resources or when the consumer, whoever subscribed to it originally says, I want to unsubscribe by taking their subscription, calling unsubscribe on it, it'll tear down resources. Um, there's a, there's a bit of memory management that happens inside of there. 
that happens also with promises, uh, but there's fewer ways to stop what a promise is doing, right? Like you can't, if you have a big async await function, um, short of putting if statements in there that say, you know, if this Boolean has been flipped, then, you know, return kind of thing over and over and over again after each await, you can't really stop uh, one of those functions from finishing what it started. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, there's, there's just some fundamental differences. Now that said, there's places where promises make total sense. For example, if I have, if I'm processing HTTP requests on a server, not necessarily on a client, but on a server, I, I have to guarantee that I'm going to send something back to whoever um, sent me a request. So promise is probably a good choice for something like that. Um, on the client, not so much. You might want to abort an HTTP request. Um, there's a variety of places where promises make sense uh, and a variety where they don't. Like if, if your app can't possibly start with some, without some piece of information, then a promise is probably a good choice because you're never going to not want that information. You're going to want to know that you got it or you're going to want to know that you had an error. Um, so it's, it all, it all just depends. Uh, observables are much more flexible. You could build a promise from observable, but you cannot build observable from a promise. Like that's because one is lazy and can be synchronous and the other one's forced asynchronous and can't be lazy. So, mm -hmm. Right. There's a there's a variety of of interesting nuance between the two. I don't hate promises, but I do think that a lot of people look at ArcGIS and be like, "Oh man, it's so easy to shoot yourself in the foot with this," and not realize that like async await, for example, is just rife with crazy foot guns and memory management issues that people don't even know about. Um, so it's. I don't know. They're both, both are hard is mm -hmm. probably the best way to put it. One is, one is deceptively hard, which is promises. And the other one, people just look at it and be like, wow, that's hard, which is RxJS because of all the operators and stuff. So, and what would be your recommendation for people who just looking into RxJS, just maybe who want to start learning it and using it? So how would you recommend them to learn RxJS? Where they have to start? And maybe you can share some tips and tricks for newcomers. Sure. Uh, I think, honestly, I would say the very first thing they need to do is just learn about the observable type itself. Like, make one, subscribe to it, unsubscribe from it, see what happens when things cancel, uh, that sort of thing. And then uh, beyond that, all they really need to know is that they can be like, I, they could just pretend the operators don't exist and just try to use observable if they want, if they want. Uh, then from there, I would say, okay, then move on to operators that are really easy to understand, like map and filter. Um, those are pretty easy to understand. And then uh, after that, you're looking at things like merge map and, you know, merge all and these things, which are a bit more complicated. And you see now, now we have uh, flat map and flatten on array, right? Natively in JavaScript. And people don't know how to use those really <laughs> either. And it's like, that's like a, that's like a two, that's like a, I'm sorry, that's like a one dimensional version of that problem. Like where, you know, uh, Observable is a little bit more two-dimensional because there's the element of time that that is when when you're dealing with a stream of events. But uh, I would just recommend that people do that. 
And then like they can get in, they can get on stack blitz or they can get in code sandbox and other, these other tools and they can just create an interval with RxJS. So they have something pumping out events or they can even wire it into like document, like from event document, click something like that. And uh, they can test and they can see like what the operators do. Uh, that's how I had to learn mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, like that's how I would recommend other people learn is just by uh, literally playing with the code uh, and not freaking out too much about the names um, of things. And also not getting like, don't like some people just dive in and they're like, I'm writing everything with operators because I read online that this is the greatest thing ever. Don't do that. Just make your stuff work first. And then, you know, you can go back and get cute with ArxJS if you really want to. Uh, add a lot of comments, though, when you do that. Because it's even though it's a really widely used tool now, there's still plenty of people, really, really smart people that I know that have never seen it. And when they do see it, they don't know what a switch map is. Like, why would they know that? So it's it's important at this stage of ArxJS that people document their code with comments here and there or make custom operators that better explain what's happening or that sort of thing. But starting point, learn about observable first, try the simple operators. Um, if when in doubt, just subscribe to it. If, if, if you're dealing with something that you know is a stream that will end on its own, like, uh, like an HTTP request and it's just a, it's a stream of one thing and then it completes, then, I don't even honestly care if you unsubscribe like you should, but if you don't, if, they, if that, if that blows your mind for some reason, you don't, you don't, and you don't unsubscribe, what you have is a promise at that point. Like it's the same thing. If you, if you have an observable, that's an HTTP request and you subscribe to it and never unsubscribe, it's literally the same thing as having a library. That's a, that's in a, that's a promise to an HTTP request, right? Like you can't cancel the promise you'd never unsubscribe then you're not canceling like if if that's your starting point so so be it i would always recommend that people remember remember to unsubscribe but it's not the end of the world if they're like i just don't get it i want to use it like promises um i don't recommend it but it's not going to hurt you uh much it might in the end but it's probably not going to hurt you so uh just start small play with it a lot and you, you'll get it eventually. Luckily, in uh, Angular, uh, there is such a thing called a sync pipe. So right, yeah. You just, you just, I mean, run this HTTP request. I mean, if it's simple scenario, right? Get this value and display it with a sync pipe. So what it does, it will subscribe for, for this observable for you, and then it will unsubscribe <laughs> right. when the yeah, component yeah. destroys. It- and honestly, if you're using any framework, it's worth, that's, I'm glad you pointed out, if you're using any framework, whether it's Angular or Svelte or Vue or React, like it's worth a quick Google, like RxJS React or RxJS Vue or something like that. And like, they actually, um, weirdly enough, observables work even more seamlessly in Svelte than they even do in, in Angular, oddly enough, like they they just work like they don't even you can just use them like a regular uh changing value in spell you don't even need like the pipe async or anything like that which is really interesting or, or there's like hooks and things in react and 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 view both to handle these things for you so less to worry about um but yeah if, if people really want to learn this stuff i still 
can't recommend enough just playing with it uh, in a tool like uh, Code Sandbox or Stack Blitz or something like that. And so it means regardless of framework, I mean, I probably want to reference the front-end frameworks. They all kind of observables and RxJS friendly these days. You can use RxJS with React, with Svelte, with, I mean, actually Angular, what else, their view, right? All these frameworks supporting right. this concept natively these days. Is it correct? Yeah, the only, the only framework that doesn't support it, well, I mean, it ha there is support, but it's community-based support, support. The only the only framework that doesn't have official support for it uh, amongst those that you just named is, is React. But there's plenty of third-party libraries available for uh, adding support for observable. Um, right. And, you know, dealing with it use it and use effect and that sort of thing isn't really that hard anyway. But, yeah, like Vue has official support for it. Um, Svelte has uh, a, a, a official support for it built into Core. And then, of course, uh, Angular has it uh, built into the, like the common pipes that, that they provide. So, mm -hmm. speaking about the future, so what do you think? How RxJS and all this uh, reactive programming will look in a couple of years? I don't know. As far as you can think of, I'm wondering, like, what's your point? What's your thoughts on the future of RxJS? Sure. Uh, well, there's in version eight we're going to finally remove everything that's been deprecated for years and years and years. So, uh, you know, people have had in some cases, three years of warning that some of these things are deprecated. Uh, now you have in your IDE things with a line through it, if you're using deprecated stuff, right? So, um, the, the next version, we're removing all the deprecated code that's going to reduce the size, like another 25% almost. Uh, and then you're going to see like a much lighter, smaller ArxJS. Uh, we're actively looking at things that we can get rid of that are confusing or unnecessary. Um, for example, we have things like Map and Map2. Now, Map2 made sense once upon a time because once upon a time, closures were very slow in, in V8. And so if you had like the, the way that you had to write something like map two to make it fast would leverage the fact that you weren't using closures. Well, now under the hood, map two is just calling map with a closure. So, and it's just as fast as it ever was, if not faster. And so map two hardly serves a purpose other than to just to confuse developers. So things like map two are likely to go away uh, over the next couple of ver major versions. Uh, and what you're gonna see is all the same capabilities and fewer operators uh, that are a little bit more self-documenting and the entire library will be much smaller. And that's that's the overall goal of, of where RxJS is headed over the next couple of years. There is such a thing uh, which is uh, TC39 observable proposal. Right. You mentioned it uh, already in the beginning. Um, can you like uh, expand this topic a little? What do you think? What will happen in the future with this proposal? How it will affect uh, RxJS? So right now the proposal is not rejected. It is stalled by virtue of the fact that it has no champion. And to understand what's going on with the TC39 observable proposal, you need to understand the TC39 structure. So TC39. Uh, in order to vote in the TC39, you have to be a paid member of the TC39. So companies are paying for representatives to go 
to the TC39. They pay, they pay a pretty penny. They pay a good amount of money to go there. And if there are no companies that have observable as a priority, uh, or, you know, maybe they have observable as a priority, but it's a different shape to observable. That, that's not the case with this proposal, but basically the only things that get pushed through the TC39 are things that companies are big companies generally are willing to spend money doing. So, uh, you know, you've got powerhouses like Google in there that seem like they kind of own the joint, but really it's because Google is willing to pay engineers to push through for proposals, uh, for various reasons. Um, uh, and, you know, it's unless, unless a Google or, you know, a, a, even like a Bloomberg or some of the other companies that have membership in the TC39, uh, get someone to push it through, then I just had my Google, my, <laughs> my Google just responded to me. Um, the, uh, unless, unless one of these big companies, uh, that has membership in the TC39, uh, feels like spending money to get it through, you don't get the features you want. So there's, there's a thing like the pipeline proposal, which is a pipeline operator, which I'm actually even more excited about than the observable proposal. There's two versions of it out there. And one version of it is something that the community as a whole, like the JavaScript development community is very excited about. It's called the simple pipe. And there's another one that's, um, I'm just going to come right and say it. In my opinion, it's bad, but the only one that a company is willing to push through is the other one. So we'll see if that makes it through or not. Hopefully it doesn't, but because then it would ruin the, the potential for the better proposal to ever make it through. But um, it's just one of those things where, and I'm not salty about the TC39. There are fine, everyone, all the individuals that I've ever met from the TC39 are lovely, intelligent people that are really trying to do the right thing for the web. Uh, but the, the nature of the organization itself means that um, it's, it's down to the whims of, of corporate money about what, what features are going to land and what features aren't. And so right now, observable is completely stalled. Uh, and I don't know how it could be picked back up because the other thing too is, uh, it's a big job to push through one of these proposals. It's a lot of work. It's nearly a full-time job. Um, and you know, I don't really know even if, even if I was a member, like I, I, my, there's no way my company would want me to spend that much time on it. But even if they, like, like, even if I was to pay for my own membership or something ridiculous, which I don't even think I can do without registering a company, like, uh, you know, I've got a family. I don't really want to spend that, that kind of time pushing something like that through. So, uh, we'll see. It's, it's not dead yet. Uh, it doesn't look like it'll ever die. Um, but uh, there's been adoption of bits and pieces of it. For example, symbol observable, uh, it's not adopted in natively into the language, but it's been supported by like TypeScript in various ways. And it's used in Redux and, you know, obviously RxJS and a variety of other libraries actually use symbol observable, which is this funny kind of side effect for like interop of observable. So it has had an effect, uh, hopefully long-term someday we'll get there. Maybe, you know, if I ever become independently wealthy, I'll just make it my mission to 
to try to get that in. But, but right now it's, it's down to kind of waiting for a corporate sponsorship mm-hmm. right. in order to right. get through the TP39. And say, imagine if proposal went through, right? <laughs> like you just trying to imagine. And it means that the absorbable become a part of ECMAScript standard, right? Right. That's right. Which means that would we still need RxJS library? No, hopefully. Well, I mean, the RxJS library at that point would probably just be a collection of operators, right? Like, so the ideal is if you get observable to be uh, uh, like adopted into both runtime or like a say like V8 or whatever, it's adopted adopted into the language, um, and then you have like say the pipeline operator. At that point, you could throw out most of the guts of RxJS and just be like, here's all these operators. You just import them and use them the end. Um, and that would be great. That would be ideal because then we're shipping less bytes over the wire. It's good for everybody if that happens, especially good for the fact that so many libraries out there have reinvented observable over and over and over again. And you would be shipping less code just by virtue of that. Like people, there's a lot of objects where people would be like, Oh, I have this, uh, what did I call it? Callback class. And it returns a destroyer. They'd be like, wait a second, this is just an observable. It could return a subscription. Like they would figure out very quickly that they could use a native type Mm -hmm. to do some of the things they keep reinventing over and over and over again. So. Yeah, it's would be nice (laughs) to have. (laughs) Right. So it seems like uh, we are getting to the end. Do you have anything to share with the listeners or maybe you want to tell what is the best way people can reach you out? Maybe if they want to ask you a question. Sure. Uh, I mean this wholeheartedly. I try to respond to every single person that reaches out to me via Twitter DM. Um, sometimes it takes a while. Uh, it really does. So sometimes people's DMs actually fall into like a DM spam folder, so to speak. And then I don't see it for a week or two. And other times I'm just, you know, I'm just busy and I, but I always try to respond to people's questions there. Uh, if they have questions about like how to do something in RxJS, probably better to put that on something like Stack Overflow because you'll get an answer a lot faster. Not because I don't want to answer it, but because uh, one, it gets, you'll get answers quicker there. And two, then somebody else that has the same question as you will find the answer on the internet as opposed to in my DMs where they can't ever see it. Uh, but I'm always happy to to try to help people if I can, and they can reach me. I'm uh, Ben Lesh on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then otherwise, you know, I would just tell people to, you know, try to update. Uh, there might be, still be some Angular incompatibilities uh, with older versions of Angular, but if you're on a newer version of Angular, I think you should be okay. Um, but overall, uh, you know, I'm always interested to see, like, people... What their if their bundle size is a whole bunch smaller or whatever, like I'm, I, I like to see that stuff. I like to hear that stuff, and the more people using the newer version, um, obviously the more you know people catch and find. Although, uh, like I said, Google themselves are on the newer version, and uh, I haven't seen too much nasty come out of that. So, mm-hmm. I think people will be pretty safe moving over. Say if someone wants to help to make RxJS better, so how can they help? The the biggest thing they can do is uh, promote understanding. Honestly, like getting out and writing um, blogs and doing videos and teaching other people how to use it and 
you know, really, if they really want to help RxJS, like write good code, don't use it in weird ways that people don't need to use it. Like if, if, uh, if you're doing something simple that doesn't even have cancellation, then maybe RxJS wasn't the right choice. But if you're, if you are doing something complicated, write, you know, clear code, write nice comments that explain why it's doing something, or even in some cases, even explain what it's doing because people don't understand what uh, switch map is and these other sorts of things. And like, teach your friends, teach your peers, be kind to people that don't understand it. Uh, those are the things that I think make a really big difference with RxJS and with the community more so than any code contribution or any of that you could ever make. Like, getting content out there that helps other people understand it in a, in a kind and gentle way. And isn't like, Oh, you're using promises. What an idiot. You know, like some people <laughs> do that stuff. Don't do that. Um, you know, like just there's, there's a, it used to be a, a while back. I'd, I'd hear people say, Oh, the cult of RxJS and these things. Cause there's people that get real crazy about it. Don't do that. Like just, you know, try to try to promote understanding of how to use things and, um, if your team doesn't like it, then, you know, show them the benefits. Don't use it if you all vote and decide not to use it or whatever. But like, it, it benefits the community more when, when you get more people understanding it and learning how to use it and that sort of thing. So those are the big contributions. I'd say content and, uh, you know, documentation, external documentation, if you will, uh, those sorts of things are all great. Right. Uh, there is also an official RxJS documentation, right? It is on rxjs.dev. Yep, that's right. I mean, some of the one of the things that it struggles with is is having like decent real world examples for some of the for some of the options. Like we do like the simplest example, but maybe it doesn't really relate to someone's real world right. problem. Um, and that's always tricky too, right? Because like some people show up to the documentation expecting to see their exact problem solved in a document, right? <laughs> like, which is not really something we can do for everybody, but just anything where you go out there and if you, you see a better way to phrase something or anything like that, um, it's real easy. There's a little pencil icon. You can click it and submit a PR um, to try to, to help with those things. And there is more resources on helps to learn RxJS, right? I probably put them into show notes. Like there is like, it's a part of RxJS.dev, right? There is like, like a decision making thing. Right. There's like a, the operator decision widget or something. I forget what it's called. There's, right. there's that. Um, there's, there's a variety of other, uh, tools and resources that other people have put out there. There's, there's, I can't even remember all of them. There was, there was one the other day I played that was like a weird, it was like a game where you could learn RxJS, which right. is pretty neat. Um, yeah, there's, yeah, cool. there's lots and lots of stuff out there. Uh, uh, I, but again, I, I can't stress enough. Like if somebody really wants to help out uh, writing clear how-tos and documentations or even sharing real, real world examples of where you benefited with, with uh, RxJS is, a, a great, a great way to help the community for sure. All right, cool. <laughs> Thank you, Ben, for being a, a guest on the show and sharing all these awesome stories, tips and tricks, which I hope will be helpful for people who want to learn RxJS. And now it seems like a time to wrap up. I'm Alexey Kuncevich, and this is Angular Rocks. Thank you for listening. <laughs>